Man, you're getting killed out there. <sighs> Tell me about it. I feel like Rocky after 15 rounds with Apollo Creed. Speaking of Rocky, did you know that Sylvester Stallone wrote the first draft of the movie in only three days? Did you know that Sylvester Stallone permanently flattened out his knuckles from punching the side of beef? What about Burgess Meredith? He had lived his line in the audition, which landed him the role of Mickey. Or that a destitute Sylvester Stallone turned down $350,000 because the studio didn't want him starring in it? Well, you can find this out and much, much more by listening to Rocky Minute, the fan podcast that covers the Rocky movies one minute at a time. You can find us on DuelingGenre.com. Now get back out there and knock this bum out. And welcome to the Protagonist Podcast, where each week we look at a great character in a great story. I'm Joe Dorowski, and this week we're talking about Alice and Emmett Otter in Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. And joining the discussion is returning guest Mav from the Fox Popcast. Welcome back, Mav. Hey, how's it going? Merry so Christmas. So glad to have you on. Oh, Merry Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> in the... Uh... In the strange world of podcast recording, we just record our, our Halloween-themed episode of Death, the High Cost of Living, and now we're recording this Christmas episode together. Oh, yeah, so long ago, when I, when I was here, you know, six weeks ago. Yeah. It was, uh... the, joy, the joy of Evergreen Podcasts is that we can do that, but it does make for some odd pairings when we double up recording with our guests sometimes. Uh, Mav, I'm glad to have you on, because we're doing this Jim Henson Christmas story uh, fairly recently at the time of this recording, we dropped an episode in which we talked about Dark Crystal and you shared yes. one of my favorite <laughs> stories about the Dark Crystal that I have ever heard, which is in the uh, comments. If, yeah. if you missed that episode, it, the Dark Crystal is a, kind of a, a high fantasy Jim Henson uh, story that is very unlike the Muppets. <laughs> um, so if you just thought you had name on it and thought, oh, the Muppet Show, I love that. And when you saw the Dark Crystal, they might be a little oh, bit confused. It was worse. It was, I mean, today in 2019, as we record this, um, the Muppets, the name the Muppets TM is and has for quite some time now been owned by Disney, by the Walt Disney Corporation. At the time, the Muppets was a trademark owned by the Jim Henson Company. And eventually the Jim Henson Company, which nobody ever used that title back in the day, but technically his company was called the Jim Henson Company, which was the owner of the Muppets. So in much the same way as National Comics actually owned DC Comics, but like everybody called it DC Comics until they eventually changed their name. Well, the Jim Henson Company actually owned the Muppets, but they called it the Muppets. So when this movie was marketed, it was very much marketed as the Muppets Dark Crystal. Like there were commercials. People talked about it for weeks leading up. This is this is, you know, Jim Henson's, you know, Jim Henson and the Muppets are coming out with this new series. This is from the mind of Jim Henson. This is um the greatest fantasy world ever ever discovered by Jim Henson of the Muppets. It was totally targeted towards the Muppets because this was, I want to say night you, you remember, I want to say 1982. 83 <laughs> somewhere in there that sounds right yes yeah so. and yeah it was like 1982 and the muppets were huge at the time you know we just had muppets taking manhattan and we <laughs> we'd had a muppet movie yeah. yeah so so the muppets were were big business i don't think they'd taken manhattan yet but it was around but it was around then and um 
no, oh, they'd had a great Muppet caper probably, but, um, but the Muppets were, were very big in the eighties, the late seventies and the early eighties. And so that's how they were sold, how they sold this movie. And I'm a Muppet fan. I was a Muppet fan. Then I'm a Muppet fan. Now that's why we're talking about Emmett Otter today. But, um, I was a Muppet fan back then and I wanted to see this movie. I'm also you know, if you've heard my show, if you've heard me on this show before, I'm kind of a nerd. So, hey, this is a fantasy epic. I love fantasy. I love I love Lord of the Rings. I love Wizard of Oz. You know, the books being darker than the movie are the movie is. Um, I was all about this. So when I knew I knew what it was going to be and I was excited, but not everybody did. The Internet hadn't really happened yet. So to fa- <laughs> to parents going to this movie, this was Jim Henson's Muppets in the dark crystal and you go there and it was packed. I went with, um, I went to dark crystal with my father and my stepmother. They took me and it was a, I don't know if it was a late night. It seemed like a late night showing when I was, when I was seven, but you know, it was probably like eight o'clock, right? <laughs> you know, like, like it, it seemed late at the time, but we, we went to the theater. It was dark when we went. So it was probably seven, eight o'clock. And, and the theater was packed with families, little kids all over the place. Yay, Muppets. And the movie comes on and I enjoyed it. But I remember just as it's going on, there's just screams of terror and crying the entire night. And then they, when the movie ends, I look around and there are 10 people in the theater, including my parents and me. <laughs> so, like everyone had just left. There was, a room, there was a room. It was a packed, solid, sold out show. And everyone left by like halfway through because they're just like, no. I mean, you, you've got young children. And I, I don't know. Like your youngest is four. Something uh, like that. Three. Three. Yeah. Three. Yeah. Uh, probably not for him. <laughs> if you've seen yeah, The Dark no, Crystal. No. <laughs> probably not a show for him and he and i understand because because but there were three-year-olds there when that movie started and they did not last the night because it is it is the dark crystal <laughs> but not this not emin otter he can watch emin otter yeah yeah this is this is the uh the family-friendly jim henson that uh it's not muppets but it might as well be <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, it, it was well. It, it was the Muppets when it came out, but it, but it was when they sold the Muppets. They retained the Jim Henson Company retained Emmett Otter when he sold the rest of the Muppets, which makes for some in- interesting trivia, which we'll get into in a little bit, I guess. Yes. So uh, anyone who hasn't seen this one, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is a 1977 TV special that was written by Jerry Jewell and directed by Jim Henson. Uh, Jerry Nelson performed Emmett Otter, while Frank Oz performed the Muppet work of Alice Otter and Marilyn Sokol dubbed her voice. And this tells the story of Emmett and Alice, each trying to find the right Christmas present for one another. And so it's... Uh, <laughs> It's a classic kind of Christmas special feel to it. Uh, if, if you're familiar with the gift of the Magi, you might see where some of this is going, though it does have its own twist on it. Yeah, slightly. <laughs> yeah. It's gift of the Magi, but well, yeah, it's yeah. not. It's, it, it, it's gift of the, I like to say this is now. And again, keep in mind, I love this movie. This is I've loved this movie since I was five years old. <laughs> I think I first saw it when I was about five. Maybe I was six. Um, it is, in many ways, the worst version of, Mer- of, of, of Gift of the Magi ever because of the twist. But, it is, <laughs> but, um, but, it, but it's delightful. It's, it's, you know, it's a yeah. charming Jim Henson story. Great for the uh, kids. 
Jim Henson would go back to the Gift of the Magi Well for Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, which we have covered on this podcast. In that version, <laughs> uh, Ernie trades his rubber ducky to Mr. Hooper to get a box mm-hmm. for Bert's uh, paperclip collection. And Bert trades his paperclips to Mr. Hooper to get a soap dish for Ernie's rubber ducky <laughs> to sit in. Yes. <laughs> Which is also right, yeah, well, Gift of the Magi, but, but, a, but, a, but a, well, we'll talk about the twist. <laughs> Yes, yeah. Uh, Mav, you had plenty of trivia on this one, so I will let you take the lead in sharing some of the trivia that you uh, you knew about uh, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. It was based on the 1971 book, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, same name, by Russell Holbein, who is a children's book author who has done many things, though I've not read any of them um, that I'm aware of, um, but he's written a lot of children's and young adult books. He's still around today. And it was made in 1977 was when this premiered, or actually, let me phrase, it was made in 1976, but only premiered on Canadian television. And then um, it um, went to America and appeared on HBO the year afterwards and was rerun at Christmas time every year. Uh, I don't think I got HBO until around 1979, 1980, somewhere in there, um, when I was like five or six. So that's when I first saw it. But it actually had, had been airing a couple of years before that. Um, it was Jim Henson was trying to work out some of his Muppet concepts throughout this. And there's some remarkable puppetry in this. But the Muppets show itself didn't premiere till the same time till 1977 but they or till 1976 but they'd had a pilot in 1974 and a pilot in 1975 so this is when he's trying to work out concepts that will be you know the magic of muppetry (laughs) um um, including the fact that as you might guess for a show of the 70s we don't really have cgi so um so all the effects are practical (laughs) and what we would now call practical special effects at the same time at that time it was just called it was just called special effects but some remarkable stuff was invented to make this movie. It's, you know, it's less than an hour long and he had to painstakingly invent new concepts and new kinds of cinematography for every single shot. Um, well, and, and also new puppetry. There was a, yes. uh, like this is the first one that used any animatronics in the Muppets for some of the walking scenes <laughs> uh, in the distance. Yeah. You 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 can see you're like you're kind of like where are the wires? Where are is anyone? And it was actually <laughs> animatronics uh, that were yeah. moving the feet and and like the mouths aren't moving. They they haven't perfected it to the point that they can mm-hmm. just do do everything they they can do today. Um, and but, if you see some of the stuff different. that's in Dark Crystal just a couple years later, like. This is where he starts working these, you know, uh, you guys talked on your Dark Crystal episode about how, you know, how did they do that? How did they do that? There's a lot of that. And here it's much, it's much more crude than Dark Crystal. But um, as you guys probably, if you, again, go back to that episode, it took them years to work out Dark Crystal. It took them, I think, six years to mm-hmm. film it or seven, or seven years to film it. So he was filming Dark Crystal while this is going on. And this is him working out concepts that he will use then. And one of my favorites is there. there is a scene. It's in the outtakes on the DVD. And you can also see it on YouTube. But there is a scene where a drum rolls out of a, out of a music store. This scene must be five seconds long. They oh, took 200 takes. 
<laughs> it is yeah it is 200 takes that are 200 something takes of them just trying over and over again because jim henson is such a perfectionist that he's like no this drum needs to roll exactly right to create the illusion this thing is entirely about about tricking you into the illusion that these puppets are real You've got to believe yeah. that this really is a talking otter and that everything's natural. And he had a very specific look that he wanted for, for everything. So it just took forever to film this one hour worth of, of television movie. Um, several cuts of the film exist. And this is because the it, it was, you know, as I said, the Muppets were sold to Disney eventually. But at the time when Henson owned this, Henson loved Kermit the Frog. I mean, it should. Kermit the Frog is Jim Henson. If you ever heard Jim Henson talk, he just sounds like Kermit the Frog. Oh, yeah. It is, so, he's not putting on a voice. <laughs> he's just sticking no. his hand in a puppet and talking. <laughs> yeah. So Kermit is in this in this movie, or he was in this movie. He was the narrator for the first version. And then in video release, they edited it slightly to take out some of the offensive parts. They're not really offensive. It's just minor language changes. The edit, it's not like, it's not like they're swearing or anything in here. One of the characters was a little meaner than he, he wanted her to be. So he, you know, he, he edits it down and, and removes a little bit of Kermit narration. And then when Disney buys the rest of the Muppets in the Jim Henson company retains, um, the rights to Emmett Otter, they release it on DVD now and it has Kermit the frog edited out. <laughs> so yeah. there, so it's just like three minutes shorter than it used to be. <laughs> Cause he's yeah. not in it a lot. He's, in, he's in the very beginning, the very end as a narrator. And so they've well, edited and, and him out odd. entirely. The version I have has him at the very beginning, but then not at the very end. And just cause of the way yeah. it works, I was waiting for him to come in and bookend it and, yeah. you know, close things out. But they cut that one out. I don't. I don't. Like, why is he still at the beginning? Then, if they cut him out at the end, I don't understand. And by the way, you know, as as I, I've got like three copies of this movie. So, um, so I will fill you in. Like, literally, he walks in and say, and that's the story of him and Albert's Jug Band Christmas, and everybody lived happily ever after. That's how it ends. Kermit, like he he's there for. <laughs> six seconds at the end <laughs> it ends in a bar uh, not a bar like a tavern like a like a restaurant you know like uh and he's sitting at a table in the back of the restaurant he's there for five seconds like you didn't miss much <laughs> and he's just basically like that's the story goodbye <laughs> you know it's a classic kermit ending <laughs> i mean this is it, it kind of happens with some other muppet stuff just because the rights are now so messy so my one of my very favorite christmas specials ever is a muppet family christmas which has the fraggles the muppets and sesame street all together yes! for christmas hanging out it's together so good. oh my god i don't have a copy so of it, but i've great. seen it before yeah, yeah, but uh, I, but I, I need to find that. It, it was out one Christmas season on DVD, and I was like, I've never seen this. I want to see it, and the and I bought it. And then like the next year, I was like, I didn't see it anywhere, and I looked it up on eBay. The DVDs were now worth like two hundred fifty dollars because it was never yeah, to be released again. The rights got so messy immediately, right? Because <laughs> because Jim Jim Henson Company owns some of it. Um, Disney children's, owns some uh, of it, and Children's Television, television Workshop owns some of it. Television Workshop, yeah, some, yeah, yeah. Ch children, but even that, the frog uh, is, I, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say that that DVD I have. I was talking with um, uh, David Peterson, who we had on as a guest. He's the creator of Mouse Guard, but he loves the Muppets. He's done like Muppet comics. He does. A, he's done a lot of comics uh, covers for them. And he said the yeah that that only DVD release is actually missing some from the original version. In the original version, you see home video footage of the Muppet Babies, uh, like as Muppets, oh. not as the cartoon version. But 
it got cut out because they sang a song that they didn't have the rights to. So like there's music rights that get tied up. Uh, you know, oh they had God. the rights for the original broadcast, but not for uh, releasing on home video. Uh, so, so what you're uh, saying, I'm going to like hit the dark web to find this. Is, is very tricky, I guess. That's what we're yeah. saying. Yeah. I'm going to hit the dark web, you know, with for 5 billion Bitcoin or something. I can get myself an original broadcast copy. Of it. Yeah, it is so good. I've seen it before, but I don't own it. So, but, um, but speaking of that, there are, uh, one of the songs from this, uh, when the, when the river meets the sea is, um, it's sung by, um, in the, in the, movie that we're about to talk about it it's sung by emmett and ma alice <laughs> um written by paul williams who did all the music for this and it is later recycled for the muppet christmas special and sung by robin who's kermit the frog's nephew and john denver as a side note robin sounds exactly like um like Emmett or very very close because Robin's voice actor in Puppeteer is Jerry Nelson and as is Emmett and he's basically just doing the same voice so oh yeah when uh I was looking down like writing some of the summary while this was on I looked up and I was like nah, I, it, that's just Robin <laughs> like the Emmett like just the voice <laughs> I was looking down I'm like that, yeah. that's Robin <laughs> yeah it's the same same guy well there's <laughs> he, a few others just, like um I think the porcupine uh, sounds just like the taxi cab driver Muppet. Oh, I can't remember mm-hmm. his name right now, but yeah, it's, it's obviously it's the same Muppeteer doing doing the work there. Yeah, there's you can you can definitely pick out some some Frank Oz voices. Um, uh, um, Harry uh, Harvey Beaver is the voice that Jim Henson uses for everybody from Muppet Newsman to uh, like a slight variation for Guy Smiley on on Sesame Street. <laughs> um, and it, it, Chuck. It, who is um, uh, an evil bear in this is sort of half Fozzie and half animal by Frank Oz. It, like there, mm-hmm. th- th- there's, there's very definite Muppet DNA, like sort of all over this. Oh, by the way, uh, when the river sing uh, meets the sea also sung at Jim Henson's funeral by Jerry Nelson, <laughs> because I, I guess Jim really liked it. I don't know, but yeah, uh, Jerry Nelson. Like Jim, Jim Henson had a really close connection with Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. I don't know if it's because he spent so much time experimenting with it, but I remember mm-hmm. uh, in high school, I I did uh, wrote a paper on Jim Henson, and I checked mm-hmm. out a couple biographies about him, and that's when I first heard about Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas because this is not in the rotation of Christmas specials on like ABC or anything like that anymore. No. Um, you kind of have to seek it out. So I just wasn't even aware of it till I was doing that paper on Jim Henson, and it mentioned I, I just from that time period, you know, decades ago at this point, I remember that he loved Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and as I've a side say, note, when oh, we record. As a side note, when we recorded this episode, you know, three months ago in the past on because <laughs> because um, it's totally Christmas right now. Um, but um, Jim Henson's birthday is September 24th, which would be the day that we would have recorded this if we weren't really speaking to you live on Christmas. So right. it's actually his birthday as we record this. So I've, I also want to synchronicity. Shop. We did not plan it that way. Yeah, not at all. Uh, the Paul Williams music that you've mentioned, he did a really good job of um, making music that felt like these were just folk tunes that were being adapted mm-hmm. into this um, this special. Like it, it just sounded like uh, you know your expectation for kind of ur- urban folk songs uh, that mm-hmm. that you know people would just uh, would have come up with and, and been passed down for generations. 
Yeah, every song I have the I mean, it's weird because I actually have the CD soundtrack, which I never listen to anymore because it's 2019 and I just, you know, use an iPhone. So I have Apple Music so I can just listen to it whatever I want. But I did buy the soundtrack. And and that's when I learned that because I, you know, when I bought it years ago, I was like, wait a minute. All these songs were were written by some by Paul. Every song's by Paul Williams. I just assumed that Barbecue was this classic folk tune, you know, uh-huh. and and because they say they are. They're like, oh, we're going to sing that old song, Barbecue. We're going to sing that old song when the river meets the sea. So I just assumed they, you know, they just went and found some, you know, some old public domain folk tunes that he decided to put in the movie. Nope. He wrote them all. And he just yeah. he he wrote them to have this timeless quality. Everything about the about the film is timeless. Yeah, um, just uh, two other bits I wanted to say. Uh, I watched those outtakes, and it's just really weird because I'd watched the movie, and then I watched the outtakes, and uh, with, with that drum roll uh, outtake, which is really funny to watch, it's Frank Oz's <laughs> voice coming out of the Alice Muppet, uh, and, and I was used to <laughs> the dubbing, and I'm like, that's Miss Piggy and, and Yoda. <laughs> you know, like, like just barely, barely not Yoda <laughs> or Miss Piggy there. And so uh, having just watched the 50 minutes of the special and then seeing the outtakes, I'm like, why is Frank Oz's voice coming out? Uh, so they do a really good job <laughs> dubbing. Like it, it works completely. Yeah. The, the, the dub does work. Um, and then the other mm-hmm. thing I want to read this quote from Dave Goals, who is one of the early Muppeteers. He did Gonzo and, and many other um, Muppets. Uh, and he worked on this and he said, Emmett Otter's Jugland Christmas remains one of my top three projects of all time. I love the feeling of that Emmett Otter world. We built a 55 foot long river that was about 10 feet wide and went all the way across the stage. And they built a radio control rowboat for Emmett. It was so lovely and lyrical to see Emmett rowing his mother down the river. The idea that there was life along the river and that it was all interconnected was a great metaphor for people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to say, like you said, it, it it's a little clunkier or it's just a, a little more uh, not as polished as some of the effects with with yeah. Muppeteering that we get as we move along. Um, but still, so many times I was just doing the classic Jim Henson in awe. How are they doing that? Like, how are the Muppets in a boat? How are the Muppets in a car talking? <laughs> how as... are they walking? Yes. They walk. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> without wires. Yes. It's like when you see the Muppet movie and it's like, Kermit and Miss Piggy are on bikes. I am very confused right now. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And I, I, I mean, I, it's, yeah, it, it's not I, as I, weird. Like, I mean, the Dark Crystal looks real in a lot of places. Like, and there's parts of the Dark Crystal where I'm like, how? Like, that's a real thing, you know? And this doesn't, like, it, it's everybody looks like a Sesame Street character or a Muppet character, right? Like, they, like they, mm-hmm. they clearly don't look like real otters like they're puppets but they move in a way where where you go that that shouldn't work <laughs> this yeah. is weird it, it's very much a toys have come to life kind of kind of feel yeah and i remember seeing like behind the scenes like when i was in junior high and high school like getting into movie making and like trying to understand how they did it like all the behind the scenes stuff about the muppet movies and the muppet takes manhattan and it's just like so impressive and then i also remember the behind the scenes for Muppet Christmas Carol, which is the first time they did green screen and the Muppeteers just wearing green bodysuits and doing Gonzo <laughs> uh, and Rizzo flying above the city and the city's not there. And they're just, you know, they're just floating them along and then we're going to add the city later. And that, you know, that works. But this is different where it's like physically, yeah. like when they do the robot sequence, I'm like, where are the Muppeteers right now? <laughs> like, <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Because the, the boat is moving in the water and their faces are moving as they're talking. I'm like, how is this possible right now? And I love that kind of movie making magic. And I am not at all knocking the modern way. Like, I understand the economics and the quality that we get from 
uh, even for Muppet projects, when they're able to use CGI to remove wires and remove the Muppeteers and, and things like that. Like it, but there's still something special about knowing everything was practical. Yeah, there's craftsmanship here where you're just like, I mean, and again, this thing, this thing is 53 minutes long. If you have the longest cut, it's 53 minutes and you go and and it took him a couple of years and you know it was expensive because, he, you know, he did that drum rolling scene 200 sometimes. It's five seconds tops. It's just but he he was so particular because he wanted it to look magical. And it does. Oh, it is a magical I, show. And even um, like just like the shots in the city, it like does cross cuts where you're seeing <laughs> where, you know, the camera was in the last shot. And they mentioned they built in the sets ways that they could pop out parts of the set to get a camera in there. So they do the same scene from multiple angles so that you can then edit it to look like this is just all one world. But it's really all just, you know, puppet sized architecture around. But they took the time to build in the whole set on all sides of these these puppets and the lighting and the camera positioning to be able to shoot the exact same scene being performed over and over uh, from all these different angles so it can feel like a fully realized 3D space and not a soundstage that one camera is being pointed at. Mm-hmm. Oh, Jim, Jim Henson and his attention to detail. It's, it's just <laughs> it's glorious. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So what's it All about? Right, well, we before should talk we about the summary. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> before we recorded, we're like, this one's going to be short because it's just a short little movie. We've just been raving about Jim Henson for 25 minutes, basically. <laughs> um, <laughs> as everyone should. Everyone should have that conversation periodically. Uh, before we move on to the summary, we want to thank you for downloading this episode and for listening. We especially want to thank those of you who support us on Patreon. If you would like to support us financially, we invite you to go to patreon.com slash protagonist and support our show with at least a dollar per month. All supporters on Patreon at any level will receive access to our special quick casts, which are short episodes in which we break down newly released films and trailers and give monthly updates on our fantasy box office and all patrons who support us with five dollars per month or more get to choose a topic for us to discuss so now on to the full summary and it's gonna be a pretty brief summary so emmett and his mother alice live in frogtown hollow emmett's dad died years ago they make a living by doing odd jobs for the residents of frogtown hollow which is a great name for a city but they do struggle to make ends meet. However, they're happy and they make each other laugh and they just enjoy each other's company. It's a great mother-son relationship. It's almost Christmas and they both want to make the other one happy. Emmett has expressed interest in this guitar, but he knows they can't afford it. And Emmett knows his mom was sad when they had to sell their piano for money. Uh, and they each hear about a talent show that is going to have a $50 prize. Alice knows that if she won that money, she could buy Emmett the guitar he wants. Emmett's friends ask him to join a band with them, uh, and they'd split the winnings, and he thinks, well, $12.50 wouldn't buy a piano, but I could make a down payment on a used piano for my mom. Emmett uh, takes his mom's wash tub to make an instrument that he and his friends, and, and then he and his friends practice uh, playing a song called Barbecue, and they do this for hours. Like, the friends want to stop. They're like, We've, we are as good as we're going to get. And Emmett's like, no, I need to win this talent show. We're practicing. Play it again for the top guys. Uh, Emmett's mom takes her husband's toolbox, and she sells it for money to buy fabric so she can make herself a new dress, and she hopes that the new dress will help impress the judges as she sings a solo for the talent show. At the talent show, Emmett and his friends see another man singing the same song, Barbecue, that they had been planning to sing, so they run out back to plan a new song that they can sing. Emmett's mom sings, then the boys play, but then the bad boys from Riverbottom show up with a rock band <laughs> called the Riverbottom Nightmare Band, and they perform... And then they're announced as the winners. The Nightmare Band won, which I have to say, uh, with the look of the judges, I was not expecting them to be into rock music. But here we are. No. <laughs> um, 
A judge tells Emmett and his mom that they both did great. Their songs were nice, but they were missing something. Um, then on the way home, Emmett and his friends, and also Alice, they combine their songs into a duet. And the judge overhears this, and he comes, he tells them that, I love that. Uh, it turns out your songs weren't missing anything. They just needed each other. And he offers them all a job performing at his restaurant. Uh, and the gig will include regular pay and free meals. The end. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, it's, it's a pretty simple story, but it's so charming. <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> it's so, it is. It's so charming. So, I, okay. Can I give first impressions from when I was a child? Again, I saw this first when I was like five. Okay, five, hold on, maybe, hold on. Matt, maybe six. I just, yeah. I'll pause. I just want our listeners to appreciate. You were just giggling about, it's so cute. And I just want to remind them. Uh, they might not remember this from your from our first episode with you. You're a former professional wrestler. Yes, <laughs> um, that <laughs> that's is just right. So charmed by Evan Otter's Jack Band Christmas. I am. I, I I love wrestling. I love this. You know, we, we have feelings too. <laughs> uh, I'm all big and strong, but I got feelings. <laughs> um, yeah. No, I I I love this. It was so cute. I loved it when I was five. Um, and Oddly enough, when I was five, I I did want to eventually grow up to be in the Riverbottom Nightmare Band because they are they are the better band. It's I mean, I lo- I lo- I love Emmett's band, um, the Frogton Hollow Jug Band, I believe it's called, or Jug Band Experience, or I can't remember what they called it. They actually have a name, which is um, which is cute. But like I, the Riverbottom song, it's just a song about them being evil, but it's so great. But. <laughs> So, it's like every parent's, uh, you know, suburban parent's nightmare in the yeah. 80s. Of like, what is this rock and roll? It's causing juvenile delinquency. Yes. <laughs> it's just given like, form by the, these, the, these, this bear and the snake and this fish muppet. And I love the fish <laughs> muppet that is constantly like splashing back into water because it's just yeah. hanging out and talking. And then yeah. it splashes into water that's nearby. And then spits on people. It's a it's a fish, so yeah. it can't leave the, it can't leave the tank. They just can't. They just they they go around with this fish who's part of their gang, and they keep him in a tank. And he's just there. He doesn't hold an instrument. He's a fish. He's got no arms, and he just comes out of the tank every once in a while and just spits water. But but the lyrics to their song, um, the grass does not grow in the places where we stop and stand. Riverbottom nightmare band. <laughs> they, they just say that over and over again and, and you and like you watch and you sort of think they're gonna lose because when they invite them into the talent show they're just like oh oh these people are scary and and, and by the way everybody in town is is sort of terrified of them you see them earlier in, in the in the show in the movie they do they're just thugs that terrorize the town because they're you know the evil gang from a town over and yeah, but, it really uh, yeah. it does feel like um, and if you ever read comic books from the 70s or 80s, there's the street toughs uh, mm-hmm. that all have a certain look or or like even like the Ninja Turtles cartoon from the, from the 80s. Yes. Like there's just the kids that are punks. And this is it. That's their whole M.O. That's their whole motivation is I'm a punk. And that's what this whole Riverbottom gang feels like. I, I was thinking like um, beach movies from the 50s and 60s. You know, oh, yeah, your yeah. your uh-huh. net fin- movies where 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 somebody's trying to you know somebody's trying to save the 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 um the beach surf shop or or malt shop and we're gonna have a you know we're gonna have a dance off and and then there's the gang from a town over who is awful and they have no motivation other than they're awful that's the riverbound nightmare band 
<laughs> they're just like we're we're just here like it's the kid it's it's biff from back to the future whose job is yes. just to walk over when you're having a good time and kick you <laughs> because that's what yeah. he does he's which, just a bad guy which on the one hand like there's a weird urban rural dynamic that maybe you could get to. on the other hand i kind of don't want to because it's just so charming <laughs> and it's so it's so exaggerated it's like i don't i can't really criticize it because it's obviously they know that they're pushing the boundaries yeah. of this game <laughs> it's it's very on the nose it's it's so heavy-handed <laughs> yeah and then but then like you expect it's a cute little muppet movie it's a movie about love and family so obviously love and family are going to get together and they're going to win the day and beat the river bottom nightmare band and no they don't they lose the end <laughs> sometimes bad guys just win that's the moral i mean like they now they they do get a job you know they they don't win anything they just get jobs the ending of the story the happy well, ending which is, is actually better like, like the 50 yeah. one time prize that that might well, be a nice christmas but they, also, they couldn't even buy what he wanted to buy so <laughs> i, I want to discuss the twist just slightly because the, the twist of the it's gift and the magi except for the point of gift and the magi either whether we want to go with the real o'henry gift of the magi or the sesame street version the point of gift and the magi is you love your partner so much that you are willing to give up the one thing that makes them that means the most to you so as to make the other person happy oh i love my hair but i love my husband more so i will cut my hair off and sell it and you know, like that's 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 the point of Gift of the Magi. In Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas, I love my son so much that I am going to sell his livelihood <laughs> to, to buy him a present. I love my mom so much. Like it's not Emmett wants to wants to win this contest to buy his mom a present, not even to buy his mom a present, to put a down payment on a present for his mom. And so he takes her job away from her. Her job is washing yeah. clothes. So he destroys her wash tub. He puts a hole and, in and, it. And, and <laughs> when she sells his, his, the dad's toolbox was what he uses as a handyman. So the mom does a lot of yes. laundry and he does a lot of yes. handiwork. There's this one shot of him using a random stick to try and hit a nail in. And it's just <laughs> not working. And because like, because she's so this? Hammer. <laughs> yeah. And it's just She's, this this close up of a random a random stick with a muppet hand on it no. and a nail that's sticking up and the stick will not pound it in. No, but that's a detail that's important. He doesn't have his tools yeah. to because she's selling them. She is selling his tools while he's destroying her wash tub. It makes the like so they can buy Christmas presents. And by the way, it, this is not like some subtle detail where you know we're years later we're being academics who pick the, who pick things apart. No, this is the point of the show. They sing a song earlier before this where they sing a song about the importance of the wash tub. It is so important that the song is called Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub. <laughs> and it's maybe one of the best songs on the show. They sing a three-minute song called Ain't No Hole in the Wash Tub. <laughs> and, and just about how great it is to have a wash tub without a hole. And then five minutes later, he's piling a hole in it with a stick. <laughs> so that he can have a chance at winning a contest to buy her part of a piano. <laughs> I can't how I love this movie. <laughs> but, it, uh, but 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 um 
but it's but even though i mean it's awful like you don't I, I i mean can you imagine if you're you know you're like you know christmas comes along you've you're married christmas comes along what would my wife really like she would like i don't know she'd like anything how am i gonna how am i gonna afford to buy my wife a new coat i know i'll sell her car her car what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> like, like that's the she has a book collection she loves. I can yeah. pawn that. I can pawn that. Yeah. Right, right. That's the and so you know. So really, they probably shouldn't be rewarded for this because this was not the, like they shouldn't. They shouldn't win because you are chancing someone else's livelihood that you're going to win a contest. And then and well, even then if also- you win, what then? Because now you now you've got a you know if he wins now she's got a piano. Because he's afforded, he, he said he could afford just one payment with the, and you know, it's, it's a, it's, it takes place in a mysterious past, even in the 19, you know, even in, uh, in, ni- in the 1970s, you couldn't buy a piano for $50 or, or, or <laughs> yeah. a guitar. Like those, are, those are just made up numbers, <laughs> but, um, uh-huh. but they're, but they're somehow going to do this. So even if you get it now, you know, now she's got a piano, but she can't afford to make future payments because, you know, or eat because you've sold her livelihood <laughs> nor you know and and if she wins well now emmett's got a guitar and no job well great <laughs> so it's also a little odd because like she sells the the toolbox i remember there's like a half minute of like why is she selling the toolbox it's like i need a new fabric to make myself a dress i'm still like why did she sell the toolbox <laughs> <laughs> like it's an amazing bit of puppetry when you see her using a sewing machine it's another one of those like whoa these guys are good (laughs) like there's a lot of time and care spent into making this this 20 second scene of her sewing her her new dress together but she sold her son's toolbox which was her husband's toolbox to buy new fabric to make herself a new dress so she pops more while singing a solo (laughs) yeah because he doesn't he doesn't have a new costume it's just like she she has to sell it because she needs an excuse to sell his livelihood so that the gift of the Magi comparison <laughs> makes sense. It's only like, it's, yeah. it's so contrived, but you know, we're picking on it. I don't care. It's so magical. Yeah, it's I just, don't care. Like, I don't you, care at all. You love it. So... And then also like the, the resolution of the gift of the Magi. So like in the, uh, like in the original story, it's just like, well, guess how much they love each other. That's their real gift to each other is, is just the knowledge of how much they love each other. Uh, in, in the Sesame street one, like uh, Mr. Hooper comes and says, Hey guys, I've got gifts for you. Guess what? It's your rubber duck and your paperclip. Cause I'm not to keep those. That would be a jerk move. Cause me. Mr. Hooper's awesome. And I miss Mr. Hooper. I miss Mr. Hooper to this day. Yeah. And I'm a grown man. <laughs> yeah. And, and in this one, the resolution is, Let's put our gifts together, which is kind of a nice, like, that's a nice, nice next twist. Let's put our talents together. Yeah, our talents together in this one. The gift is that we've discovered our love for each other. Yeah. (laughs) And and their songs, I do have to say, like, we praise the songs. Her solo, I wasn't crazy about, but it does fit really well when you put it with the Jug Band <laughs> song. Like, by itself, it really was like, nah, I don't think this one should win, guys. Like, if this well, was the voice, I wouldn't be hitting the, the buzzer right now on the solo song. I, but well, they did uh, they did blend really well. I, I And this is, and that's what's odd about Because, again, when I first saw it, again, and I was five or six, right? Um, Barbecue is a great song. Barbecue is a song that I, you know, it, it's one of the... Honest, this is absolutely true. The song Barbecue by Paul Williams off the album 
you know, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is in my um, running playlist on my iPhone today because I still love that song. Um, Matt, I'm and, guessing a lot of our listeners haven't heard Barbecue. Could you give us a quick uh, lyric rundown <laughs> of some of Barbecue? Uh, um, uh, um, barbecue and Jug. It's a, it's a song about it's it, I don't know why it's called Barbecue, because it's a song about having a jug band. <laughs> but but it's but it's barbecue and barbecue and jug band music and a, a pretty girl listening to jug band music and a mess of mama's barbecue. Like, it makes no sense. It's just gibberish. It's nonsense lyrics about loving barbecue and 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 jug band music jug band music yeah. <laughs> like, like Which again, i want to make clear to our listeners we are not nitpicking somehow this alchemical combination of nonsense comes together to make a really nice christmas it works movie I, okay if you go if you go back on on my show we did last year our christmas episode we talked about our favorite christmas um movies and most of them that we talked about we were making most of them we were making fun of um like hallmark and netflix christmas music movies which are just ridiculous this one i said no 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 this one's good i love this movie i've watched this movie over and over again for years i'm 45 years old i've been watching this for 40 years my family loves it my cousins and i talk about you know christmas comes up and you know everybody's old now and has kids and everything oh have you guys watched emmett otter yet like we, we get excited about it everyone in my family owns this on dvd it's so great so i'm not i'm 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 doing this out of love but but yeah barbecue makes no sense it's just great it's it's one of those songs it's like i don't know like i'm just thinking like it 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 gives me the same joy that like Inagata Davida does. Inagata Davida makes no sense. <laughs> it's a meaningless gibberish song that I love. And barbecue is the same way. <laughs> and and when when they perform barbecue, as you said, Emmett so wants to win this contest. He's like, I put a hole in mom's wash tub for this. We're going to practice until we get it right. And they practice it till they're perfect, and then it gets stolen from them. So they have to go out back and they have to like practice the new song um, brothers or something like that. And, and, and I think this is brilliance on the part of Paul Williams because frankly, um, river bottom nightmare band is a better song. And by the way, river bottom nightmare bands um, song is called river bottom nightmare band. <laughs> so it's a better song than either the song that Ma sings or the song that Emin and his friends sing. It it just it, it really is a better song. It's catchier because like watching the talent show, you know, what we see of it, I wouldn't have let either of them win either. They're not as good. It and and, and I think yeah. that's intentional. I think that's the brilliance of the composer going, No, no, no. I want these songs to be missing just a little something, something. Because when you put them together at the end, when Ma just has this inspiration, she's like, Hey boys, I think our songs would work together. When I point at you. I want you to just come in and start singing your song. And then she starts singing her solo and then she points and it's all acapella because they don't have their instruments while they're doing it. And they just, it blends so well. And like, it makes sense because they're not really classic folk songs. They're songs that Paul Williams wrote to, to sort of <laughs> blend together, but they're a better song together. They, Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. Like you're saying, like you see it in the performance. You're like, yeah, okay. <laughs> you know, that was, that was all right. Way to give it your effort. <laughs> but I think and it's now you're, of course, going to win because it's a happy Christmas story. Oh, they didn't win. They, they oh, lose. Okay. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and you're almost but like... When they, when they do come together, like it works as the 
uh, culminating moment of this story. It works to like give you the the Christmas feeling that you want out of a Christmas. <laughs> like we watch Christmas specials for that dopamine hit of <laughs> everything working out and good feelings happening. Like, and we need it in the darkest time of the year. <laughs> like in the Northern <laughs> Hemisphere, like guys, these are really short daylight hours and it's cold outside. Oh, and, you mean actual, you and, mean actual uh, darkest. You mean like, and like it's nighttime. I thought yeah. you were saying Christmas was dark yeah. as an evil. And I'm like, no, no, no. like, like literally <laughs> it, it's dark. <laughs> But we, and I think that's one reason why we like schedule a, a lot of happy story time yeah. <laughs> in this time of year. It's to counteract like the physical reality of looking out your window. Like, oh, that's that's really dark and cold yeah. <laughs> out there. What's yeah, something no, that's yeah. gonna make you feel good? Well, Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas is gonna make me feel good right now. Yeah, because by December, you know, I mean, we're, we're I mean, the 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 winter solstice is like the twenty first, right? Twenty first, twenty second December. Yeah. So by the time Christmas happens, you know. You get off work at five o'clock. It, it, sun setting. <laughs> you, know, you really don't have any daylight hours. So yeah, uh-huh. yeah, yeah. Because you're, you're in an office all day. Yeah, like my <laughs> my wife, uh, she works in the the basement of the university library, so she has no windows. So there's like there's nothing. And so yeah, in, in December she goes into work. It's dark when she gets to work. She comes out. It's dark. <laughs> it's like, oh, so so she great. just doesn't see the sun from like November till like March. You're saying. <laughs> Yeah, like we she can do. turn on a webcam feed of the campus quad and just see. Oh, oh, look, it's bright. It's bright out there. If if I had a window, this is what I might be seeing. Uh, yeah. Oh, but I, I, this is one reason why. Like, yes, we can make fun of Hallmark movies all day. I certainly we have never done that on the protagonist podcast in our annual Christmas special. Yeah. Uh, well, you guys, but, pitch, but the formula is room. there. <laughs> Yes, the formula is there to 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 like hit you in the feels and and give you this positive emotional boost. Uh, and and we like like it is a, a, an economic model that works for the Hallmark Channel to do yes. that. Uh, and, and it's an economic model that Jim Henson was was tapping into in the seventies. Um, and I also want to shout out to the design of the frog that saves the day. <laughs> it is one of my favorite Muppets I've ever seen. This frog. I almost wish they had, they'd gone for like full British aristocrat. Tut, 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 great job there. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like, Which is odd, by the way. Everything about it is just he's a different looking frog because Kermit's in it, and then there's the there's the frog. That I, I don't remember the frog's name, but he is he's one of the judges, and he is the owner of the local tavern. You know, I, I, it, it's a bar, but it's it's not a bar like a bar like adults drinking. It's it's a it's a pub where you know people go to have dinner, and then you know there's a live show. And yeah. he, it, it's odd because he's a frog and Kermit's a frog and they're both in it. And, you know, cause I, cause I, when I watched this every year, it, I mean, it was great watching it this year, but even before Christmas, you know, for this show. Um, but I watch it every year and for the last 40 years and it has never bothered me at all that these two frogs are entirely different looking like like there's no universe where a frog looks like the frog that it, that is that you know runs their tavern and a frog looks like kermit who's hanging out in the tavern in the last scene <laughs> depending on your cut yeah depending, depending on, your on the end of the film you're yeah. your hands on but but it, it doesn't make sense for them to look entirely different and yet they do it's fine Eh, okay, <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm on board. Well, I, I saw 
there, there's uh, on my DVD, there's like an hour long making of, and I wasn't able to watch the whole thing before recording, but I saw uh, kind of the first half and they talked to one of the um, Muppet designers and working on this. And they, they said um, like, yeah, okay, these are Muppets, but they're not like Muppets always have giant wide mouths. Mm -hmm. That's like one of the design elements we deliberately put into Muppets. And because we were adapting this children's, uh, book that had illustrations that established the look of these characters. We couldn't do that. And they do a really good job of matching those illustrations. They did some like side by side of what's in the original book and what they do. And, and like she's describing, like we had to like have very narrow mouths that just like the tips of the Muppeteer's fingers are getting into for like the otter and the frog, um, which is not the style of, of the Muppets. Like think about the Muppets and how many of them do their, like half their head flips back whenever they're talking and you don't care because it's the Muppets and everyone loves the Muppets. Uh, but, they have beady but, little but eyes this, it's, too. It's, like animal, they have yeah, almost realistic very, button eyes instead of the big googly ones that the Muppets have. Uh-huh. And, and um, it, it still like works for creating the Muppet magic. But once that was pointed out, I was like, oh, it really is. Like they were making very different. This wasn't like, oh, give me the Miss Piggy mouth model and we're just going to stick this, you know, porcupine mm-hmm. on it or anything like that. They were making a whole new style for, like you said, this 50 minute Christmas special <laughs> that, mm-hmm. what, you know, was only going to air in Canada as far as they knew initially, I think, from, from, mm-hmm. what, I, <laughs> from what I looked at. Uh, but there's a level of care in the set building and in the, the puppet building that pays off in making this like like it elevates everything even as we've kind of joked about you know so some of this doesn't really work thematically uh the world works so well that you kind of don't care and you still get the happy christmas feels from it it's yeah it so when i pick it apart it it you know it falls apart under scrutiny and it's one of those few things you know there's a lot of stuff that that i love and that I, you know, that I have to watch without my academic brain. I have to turn it off in order to be able to still enjoy this. Emmett Otter is one of those things where I can pick it apart and I don't care. Yes, it makes, you know, I, I said this is the worst version of, of Gift of the Magi because the idea of selling your loved one's livelihood to buy them a present is, you know, horrible. It's, it, you know, hi, mom, I want to buy you a present. I stole so money from your wallet. Too. Yeah, yeah, so so short-sighted. Like, come yeah. February, what are we doing? I don't know. Yeah, we have no job. <laughs> Starving. I like, guess is what we're gonna do. Like, I mean, they they make a point earlier in the in the in the film. There's a point where where they're talking about how how much money they have, and one of the points is um, Ma knits socks. One of her side jobs is she'll knit socks, and she sells the um the socks to buy pumpkins that she can bake pies with bake bake into pies and then she can sell the pies for enough money to buy wool to knit socks <laughs> that she can like it's just this end of the cycle they're making just enough to scrape by they don't have a christmas tree because they can only well they they can only really afford a christmas branch they just cut one branch off the same tree every year but also pa back in the day you know, he never had the heart to cut down a whole tree because because he um, doesn't cut down the whole tree. That tree will live to provide Christmas twigs for generations yeah, to come. The, yeah, the next Christmas branch <laughs> up from the same tree. <laughs> yeah, so they, you know, so there there's a whole mythology that they've they've got this lived in world that is so real and so delightful. So that when you know, even though like my smart brain knows that Emmett is doing something horrible 
by putting a hole in the wash tub when when he when he in, in, when turns he into you know, a musical hammers the nail through it. Yeah, yeah, turns yeah. And I know that Ma is doing something horrible to Emmett when she's selling his tools. I feel bad for them at the moment because you feel like Emmett is making a sacrifice. Like they, there's all the pathos in the world where he sits there and they're like, he sits there and little Muppet hand is holding the nail and the sticks hovering above it. And you just like, again, his face doesn't move. He's a puppet, but like you look at it and you can feel the emotion where he's just like his heart's breaking. And you're just like, no, don't do it. Emmett. Don't. And you just know how much it cost him to drill that nail. And then, but if you think about it for a second, it's not costing you anything. You're ruining your mom's life. Like, but, but you don't feel bad for her at that moment. You feel bad for him because this is the most important thing in the world to him. And it, it, it just doesn't make sense, but it is so expertly crafted that in the moment you're like, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is so sad. So sad. When in reality, all they had to do is just, you know, not do any of these things and everything would have been fine. Like, they, <laughs> like it's, it's purely greed, right? They were perfectly, apparently every Christmas, you know, they've never had money for presents their entire, their entire life. They've never had money for presents. They just have a branch that they, they, they sit around and sing Christmas songs on and they were happy they just get greedy one year and decide they really want a piano and a guitar for the other one. And so yes. they're willing to ruin their lives over it. Like, it, it, like there's well, no, I, is it greedy it. or like, like it's, it's not greed. It's like, they suddenly get very invested in providing the other's happiness. A, yeah. Some, something material for the other one. Yeah. But as you've noted, they're going to destroy something material <laughs> of the other ones, <laughs> you know, to, to, to not even just, this. well, but they but not just it's it's not even just like it's almost weird. I'm trying to think it, it it it's only dark and not horrible if you're like, I want to buy my mom a present. I don't have any money. I'm gonna sell this other thing that belongs to my mom. I'm gonna sell my mom's, you know, I'm gonna sell my mom's sweater so that I have money to buy my mom a jacket. <laughs> you know, that that's yeah. weird, but like, but like it's a zero sum game. Mm-hmm. He's not but doing it's also, that. It's He's not, destroying her ability to make yeah. future money. <laughs> yeah, he said, come, come, her come her They're in a bind here. Um, yeah, yeah. If the restaurant owner doesn't doesn't really like their their new song, they they weave together. Um, but there is one of the same graces. This is like coming from a place of love. It's not like when a kid's like, I think my mom really wants a new Ninja Turtle toy this year. <laughs> You know, that's what I'm going to give them. Yeah, they do love each other. They do. Yeah, yeah, this game. It is something for the other one. Like Emmett wants that guitar, but he never thinks I could win this $50 and buy myself the guitar. Like that doesn't even cross his mind at all. Right. Um, And we know it's the thing he wants most in the world because he says early in the movie, I would love to get that guitar. He sees the guitar and he just he wants it so bad. But no, no. It's never, and his friends do like his, when they're like, we're going to split this $50. What are you going to do with it? And his friends have very, I want to buy this. I want to buy this. I want to buy this. And it's like, I'm buying my mom a piano. It, it, it is an, it is an entirely selfless act to sacrifice his mom's career. <laughs> you know, it's so weird, but, but like, I, I can't, I cannot say how much in the moment you just buy into the emotion of like the sacrifice that he's making it, it yeah it feels christmasy <laughs> it feels like it. <laughs> one other moment that works really well that i do want to give a shout out to um and it's it's the kind of character moment that doesn't actually add anything to the narrative so you could see it getting cut 
cut from so many stories. It's the moment when uh, they talk about like, can we go do dad slide, Paul slide where their dad, before he died, he built them a slide and they spend, it's a pretty significant amount of, of screen time showing them just going mm-hmm. and enjoying time together as a family on this thing that her husband and his dad had built, uh, you know, years ago. And you just sense there, like somehow through the brilliant work of the Muppeteers and the voice actors and the way they build the set, like you feel years of joy being added to mm-hmm. in this moment. Like you feel all the nostalgia and now this is just a set and they're probably literally just shoving Muppet, you know, puppets down <laughs> this slide. Yeah. Uh, but they put enough care into the performance that it, mm-hmm. it feels special, you know, and they pause the whole it's story. It doesn't matter. Do yeah. Yeah, it does. It doesn't matter for the narrative, but it is so important because it is it, it is the one moment where of the story where I mean, you already know that they love each other, right? They they clearly most of their scenes uh, are the characters who appear most often are Ma and Emmett, Alice and Emmett. Um, so you see them together a lot. You see that they have this loving mother son relationship, but it is in this one moment where you feel like sort of the hand of pa the spirit of pa is with them and it, it gives you this moment of this is this moment of absolute joy he built a it, oh, it's very important he it's a slide outside their house that um that slides onto the the end of the slide is the frozen river so they can't use it most of the year they just wait all year to ride the slide together so they can be close to dad close to pa and in who's you know we don't know how long he's been gone it's never it's never really stated but this is clearly not their first christmas without him you know so it's it's this weird character building moment that it doesn't affect the story you know it doesn't affect the narrative but i think it's essential to the to the story it's essential character building for both of them no, for them this is going to be a, a very weird connection I'm about to make. And I, we talked about it on a quick cast, so I'm guessing most of our listeners didn't hear it. But uh, Stranger Things 3, <laughs> um, the, yes. the Netflix series Stranger Things, uh, I don't think it was a huge misfire, but it didn't feel as special as the first season of Stranger Things. And I was thinking back to what the first season of Stranger Things had that I felt was missing from Stranger Things season three. And mm-hmm. what I remember from Stranger Things season one, which I haven't gone back and watched in a couple of years, uh, like it came out and I watched it and then I rewatched it when we were going to do an episode about it for this. And I don't think I've rewatched it since then, but there are moments that stand out for building character, not for the weird supernatural plot, but it's, uh, you know, uh, Chief Hopper uh, crying in the stairwell when he finds out his daughter is dying of cancer. It is, uh, yes. the two brothers, Michael and, uh, oh, what's the boy that was missing in the first one? Uh, Will. Will, is it Will? Will. When, when you mm-hmm. see him introducing him to a rock song and playing it together and they're like shaking their head, like in the bedroom, they're just listening to this song together. Mm-hmm. It's a big brother saying, I want to show you this piece of art. And that's when I care about the character. Like those are the moments that make me care about these characters that make the stakes of the supernatural chaos matter. And season three had some great supernatural chaos, but I didn't feel any of those like real character moments that made me care. They save it till the much. end. It's, it's out of order. Yeah. It's weirdly yeah. out of order. The big care, care moment between Hopper and 11 is it's at the very end. Yeah. No spoilers. It's at the end uh-huh. and it's, and it's, and it's a flashback, but at the very end, they're like, Oh, and we did these things. And, and that, you're like, and you do feel I right needed that 12 episodes ago. Yes, yeah, exactly. I needed that 12 episodes ago. And this, uh, Emmett Otter and his mom playing on the slide. It's the brothers listening to, is it a Smith song? I can't remember what song it is in season one. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, but, it, but it's, it's, you know, it's this family bonding moment 
that makes you care so much more about mm-hmm. all the story that's actually about to happen. Uh, and it works as well in Evanada's Drug Man Christmas as I feel like it, it did in Season 1 of Stranger Things, which I know is a weird comparison to make, but that's kind of what I thought of when I was like, why do I no, love I, this moment over... of, of Ma and Emmett on the slide together? Almost Famous is another movie that does it. Cause it um, now, so this is, I think... I think the difference is between the one with Michael and Will and the one in Almost Famous is those are both siblings. I, I think there's a very what makes it work is like you've got this moment with music where where it's like, look, you know, where, you know, I know I'm older and I know you see me as an adult, but we're we're cool. So I'm going to I'm going to let you into the adult club by by giving you the gift of music. This is going to be the soundtrack of your life, man. And, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's that that's what that scene's about in Stranger Things. And, and it's exact same scene in, in Almost Famous. If you have I, I don't know how long, if you've ever seen it or how long it's been since you watched Almost Famous. But like the the older sister gives the gift of music to her younger brother. And, mm-hmm. and that's, uh, you know, that but that's it- what's happening there. And it's a, it's a, and it's a, you know, it's a rite of passage. It's a, here's where we become equals. And I, and I really feel like with the slide moment, the slide moment is this is a gift that was given to us by Pa. This slide represents who we are as a family. At no point do they ever consider selling the slide and it never comes back up. It just, it's the one time in the entire film where you realize, oh, these are super poor people they're not people they're otters (laughs) these are super poor otters but like this is the moment where you're where you're like nothing matters they're just going to be okay because they've got this pure joy of even though pa's dead they remember he even said that's this slide is the best thing pa ever gave us you know (laughs) like that's it there's this magical moment of family that just sort of tells you who they are is embodied in the slide scene and it's it's two minutes of screen time yeah well, I think that's a good moment With to add. barely uh, any dialogue, because they're just sliding down yeah. over and over again. Yeah. Uh, any final thoughts on <laughs> Emma Otter's Jug Band Christmas? No, no, cool. I, I mean, I I, I, I want to watch it again. It's worth watching. If you've got children, absolutely watch it. I hope it holds up. I mean, I don't know. Like, I, I think it does. Again, I, I first watched this when I was like five or six years old. And I've watched it repeatedly over the years. And, and I don't, you know, I hope it's not one of those things where kids in 2019 watch this and they're like, this is dumb. This looks fake. You know, you know, yeah, put, you know, put on toy story, put on frozen or, or, or whatever, which are things that I like, you know, <laughs> like those are, those are movies that I like, but it, it's a very different, you know, the craftsmanship, the story ridiculous as it may be, the music is perfect for it. And it's it's a it's an odd Christmas movie. None of the music is Christmassy. It's not like there's any jingle bells in here. It, it's not like, you know, it, it it's sold as a Christmas story, but it doesn't feel Christmassy with the exception of the fact that it's, you know, it happens to be winter in it. You know, it's about being Christmas, but it's this own unique little world that sort of works in a a magical, <laughs> a magical way. Yeah, I, and also, you know, snake salesman, you know, <laughs> selling snake oil doesn't work because no one wants to oil a snake. <laughs> I, oh, I'm, I'm glad you remember that line. That's one I definitely wanted to remember. Their dad, all we know about their dad besides the slide is that he 
he lost everything in snake oil. I mean, you're like, wait, what? And then like the son says that line, like, snake oil salesman isn't a great job when no one wants to oil or polish a snake. Is that what they say? Oil a snake. Oil a snake. Yeah, he was a snake. He was a snake oil salesman, but which is not a metaphor. He apparently <laughs> literally sold snake oil, which is what, <laughs> but not oil made from snake. <laughs> snake, snake. I oh, love those kinds of jokes in Muppets. I love the like the <laughs> dumbest pun that it's so dumb you have to take a moment to process the pun. <laughs> oh, it's one of my favorite things about Muppet. Muppet, like the layers of humor that happen in any Muppet production or Jim Henson production, mm-hmm. it's like the the humor is coming from left field. It's a, it's a, kind of like a Monty Python sketch. Like it's just like where wait what what's coming on right here? Where did that come from? Am I getting this joke? Okay, that that is literally the whole joke, and it's better because that's the whole joke is that his dad they, was a it, fake it oil snail. It's but. funny the first time. But- yeah it's funny the first time but they say it like three or four times and by the third and then like by the like i've again i've watched this 40 50 60 times uh, over my lifetime but by the third time through you start realizing this isn't a joke i mean pa's joke about snake oil, but like apparently pa literally <laughs> sold snake oil like 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 the, the joke is that was his actual job <laughs> He's not, not that he's a con man. He's a guy who sells snake oil <laughs> because of course he is yeah. <laughs> or was. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, on that note, let's wrap up this episode. Thank you for joining us, listeners. Yeah. Uh, for show notes and links to all the other great Dueling Genre shows, go to DuelingGenre.com. Also, please subscribe to the Protagonist Podcast in your podcast app of choice, and please leave us a review. That really helps us out. We'd like to thank Nick English, who designed our logo, and Scott Tofty, who composed our theme music. If you enjoyed this episode, you might want to go check out episode number 49, when we talked about Christmas Eve on Sesame Street, or episode number 244, when we talked about The Dark Crystal. You can reach us by emailing feedback at protagonistpodcast.com or us on Twitter. You can follow at protagonistpod or at Jay Dorowski. And our producer, Andrew, is at Disminute. And our Facebook fan page is facebook.com slash protagonistpodcast. Mav, would you like to plug your podcast for our listeners? Yeah, uh, you can you can listen to me on www.voxpopcast.com or we're on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, all those places. Um, we are a weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing, where every week we tackle some topic of pop culture. We have a guest, you know, much like you do. We have a, we we bring on a guest or two. Usually, sometimes it's just the the four hosts, and we. Um, we break apart some topic and just sort of, you know, we try to be a little academic, but also have a lot of fun with it. And I'm sure, you know, it's December right now. So I'm sure we came up with some really great Christmas episode that we did this week um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that I'm sure I, I very much enjoyed. But like in in real time for us, I have not come up with that yet. So I'm not sure what that's <laughs> going to be. be great. But, <laughs> but it was great. So so go listen to us, too. All right. Well, thank you again for downloading us, listeners. And thank you, Mav, for joining us on this episode. We'll be back next week to discuss another great character in a great story. So long. It is based on the 1971 book Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas by I I, I know the name was there somehow it's gotten deleted. Yes, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Sorry, it's gonna be yeah, a moment of editing here. Well, right. let's find it and okay. you can give him a fresh read there. I'm, I got let's it. See. Okay. Okay.